Hi there, I'm Washington Post reporter Lillian Cunningham. Stay tuned after the show to hear about my latest podcast, Moonrise. It's the dark but true story of why we went to the moon and what we found there. The full series is available now. Hey, history lovers. I'm Mike Rosenwald with Retropod, a show about the past rediscovered. The United States Congress has been at the center of debates over the most contentious issues the country has ever faced. Slavery, war, civil rights. But there's a very old and very heady debate you probably haven't heard of. A debate, it turns out, that was only recently sort of settled. The debate I'm talking about concerns hats. Okay, let's go back like 200 years. Congress was not the dignified place it is today. It was essentially a bunch of men hanging out in a really large man cave. Members in the house chewed and spit tobacco. They carried guns and knives. They propped their feet on their desks smoking cigars while downing liquor. Oh, they wore hats, too. And back then, there were hat naysayers. Hats, they said, had no place atop the heads of men debating the great issues of the day. They weren't dignified. Also, the hats were so large, they allegedly muffled even the loudest voices. So, in 1822, Representative Charles F. Mercer of Virginia proposed that no member remain in the hall covered during the session of the House. Covered meaning wearing a hat. Mercer's proposal won 63 votes, but it didn't pass. The hats prevailed. Six years later, in 1828, along comes another lawmaker opposed to hats, Representative George McDuffie of South Carolina, the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. He argued that the sea of big hats worn by members muffled sound, making it harder to hear the debates. Representative George Kremer from Pennsylvania declared that reasoning to be total hogwash. How could hats be an acoustical problem? He refused to remove his very tall hat, which often accompanied his non-matching leopard skin coat. In 1833, Representative James K. Polk of Tennessee made another appeal to ban hats as a matter of decorum. But North Carolina Representative Lewis Williams raised a practical objection. If gentlemen were to be forbidden to wear their hats, he said, where would they put them? Representative John Marable of Tennessee raised another issue that was very, very important to him. Baldness. He asked to be exempted from any no-hats rule because he needed to wear his hat in all seasons, in cold weather for warmth, in warm weather to keep the flies away. Nothing ever came to pass, though. Lawmakers had seemingly put a lid on the hat issue. But then, on September 14, 1837, without debate, the House passed a resolution that every member shall remain uncovered during the sessions of the House. How did it happen? By now, Mercer, who first proposed a hat ban 15 years earlier, had risen to be chairman of the Select Committee on the Rules of the House. He tucked the hat prohibition 
into a batch of rules that members voted on together without any discussion or debate. That Mercer, he was crafty. But by the 20th century, objections to the rule started to rise again. In 1970, one of the first serious challenges to the rule emerged when women's activist Bella Abzug of New York won election to the House. Abzug was known for wearing wide-brim hats. She said she started wearing the hats when meeting with male lawyers. As a young female lawyer, she said, it was the only way they would take you seriously. Abzug vowed to wear her hats on the House floor, but she never did. She reportedly once headed to the House floor with her hat on, but when the House doorkeeper asked for the bonnet, she uttered a four-letter word and turned it over anyway. Now, here in 2019, the House has finally changed the rule for covering heads. Well, sort of. With the election of Ilhan Omar, a Minnesota Democrat and a Muslim who wears a headscarf, the House will now allow headwear for religious or medical reasons. Omar cheered the rule change in a tweet. It had been a long time coming. I thank my colleagues for welcoming me, she wrote, and for making Congress more inclusive for all. I'm Mike Rosenwald. Thanks for listening. This episode was adapted from a story written by Ronald G. Schaefer for The Washington Post. For more forgotten stories from history, visit WashingtonPost.com slash Retropod. Hi, I'm Lillian Cunningham, host of the Washington Post's presidential and constitutional podcasts. We've just released the finale for my latest series called Moonrise. It reexamines the story you thought you knew about why we went to the moon. I dig into newly declassified documents and presidential records, closed door political deals, the Cold War nuclear arms race, and even the history of science fiction to tell a new story about space. Listen on your favorite podcast app or at WashingtonPost.com slash Moonrise. You can binge the entire series available now.